guess that's all we can say about the second half of the divisional matchups in uh, in this past weekend's playoff games in the NFL. Just wow. Um, Saturday, we saw Joe Burrow and the Bengals going to Tennessee, upset the number one seeded Tennessee Titans um, on a walk-off field goal. Crazy game, crazy game. Joe Burrow almost got killed out there, got sacked nine times, still got the job done. Crazy. Okay. Then Saturday night, we saw the 49ers go into Green Bay, pull the upset, punish Aaron Rodgers. Who knows if that's the end of his Packers career or if it's the end of his NFL career. And uh, they beat the number one seed, Green Bay Packers, in Green Bay. Um, another walk-off field goal. Amazing. Then what do we see? We see the Rams and Bucks in the first game on Sunday, right? So what happens there? We see the Bucks come out super slow. We see it's just looking like it's not their day. Um, the Rams are doing what they do. They're playing great defense. They're playing great offense. Third quarter, the score is 27-3 to Rams at Tampa Bay. But then you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bucs are out here getting killed, but... I don't think we can put this one to bed. Why can't we put this one to bed? Because Tom Brady. Yeah, that guy we all know that we call the GOAT. We've seen this story before, didn't we? In the Super Bowl against Atlanta. Down 28-3, he comes back, gets the job done, and pulls the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. So what? The Bucs are missing a lot of firepower. They're missing pass protection. Uh, Tristan Wirfs is out protecting Brady uh, at right tackle. Then you're missing one of his best receivers, Chris Godwin, done for the year with the uh, with the ACL injury, right? So we see Brady is missing two key cogs on offense. Of course, Antonio Brown, he's gone because he's crazy. Um, <laughs> and then what do we see? We see the Bucs come roaring back in true championship fashion and in true Brady fashion, all the way back to tie the game with about two minutes left or less, two minutes left or less. Like, all these games are so crazy. It's all like melding together, but they come roaring back. They tie the game 27-27. They are helped, of course, by four fumbles by the Rams, but can you say that's the Rams choking the game away, or is it the Bucks' defense making play after play to keep them in the game while the offense was clicking, right? So anyway, the, the score is tied 27-27 late in the game, and most people, most coaches, most teams, if they have the ball, they're going to kneel it down, play for overtime. What happens then? Matt Stafford did what he was brought to L.A. to do. He made the type of throw that Jared Goff couldn't make. Even though he's gotten them to a Super Bowl before as a starting quarterback, he made the type of throw that Jared Goff generally couldn't make, which is why he was shipped out to get Matthew Stafford from Detroit. And he threw a bomb to Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup catches it, sets up the winning field goal, all said and done. And we may not only have seen the end of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, quest to repeat as NFL champion, we may have also seen the end of the career of the greatest quarterback in NFL history. But we'll get to that. Before I get to that, though, the question here is, is Cooper Cup really this good? I mean, he's the triple crown winner among receivers in the NFL this year, led in uh, receiving yards, led in receiving touchdowns, led in receptions. The guy dominated. And the scary thing is he did all that with teams knowing that he was going to be the main weapon in the passing game for the Rams every week. But he still did all that. That's scary. 
So you got to wonder, like, is Cooper Cup really this good? I mean, I guess he is. The numbers say he is, you know, and I'm a guy that normally likes to always point out that the rules are made in, in all these team sports now to proliferate offense. But regardless, Cooper Cup is dominating and he, he didn't go to a big name school. Um, well, I think he went to Eastern Washington. You know, he wasn't drafted high. Um, he's not an elite physical talent, but he's out here getting busy. And let's realistically, let's look at the elephant in the room. He, he's a smaller white wide receiver. And you don't expect those guys to just get busy the way he's getting busy. And he's not just, you know, a, a possession receiver the way, you know, your Edelman's and your Welkers were. And those guys were great, no question. But Cooper Cup can run the entire route tree and he gets busy all over the field. So I guess it's a stupid question to ask, is Cooper Cup really this good? Looks like he's really that good. So anyway, he makes the grab of the day puts the Rams in position to kick the game-winning field goal as time runs out. And like I just mentioned, it wasn't so much that the Bucs lost. You know, it's a really hard thing to repeat as Super Bowl champion. We've seen that time and time again. Only a, a few special teams are able to repeat. Um, ones I can think of, uh, uh, the Patriots, um, the Denver Broncos at the end of the last century, um, Dallas Cowboys back in the 90s. It doesn't happen often. Now you saw the Buffalo Bills go to four straight Super Bowls. That'll probably never happen again um, as AFC champions. But, you know, they lost every one and each one coming in successively worse fashion. But regardless, you know, to, to keep a team together and to be able to avoid injuries and to be able to have continued success in a sport like football, which is made for teams not to have that level of continued success is a tremendous thing. And um, we'll get to that also when we talk about the Chiefs a little bit later. But for right now, um, it's just amazing to see what the Rams were able to go into Tampa Bay and do. So not only do we see, uh, you know, uh, the end of the Bucks um, chase to repeat as champions, but we also may have seen the end of the greatest quarterback career and maybe the greatest career in NFL history. Oh, and I know. And um, it's to, it's a day after the season. So I think for all of us, you know, we can all decompress a bit. It's been six straight months of football every day consumed by, you know, day in and day out football. And I think now it's just some time to spend some time with my family and spend some time with, you know, my kids. And uh, hello. Hi, Vivi. I can't hear you. He said hi, Vivi. Hi. It's my little angel. Biggest difference now that I'm older is I have kids now, too. You know, and I care about them a lot as well. You know, they've been my biggest supporters. My wife is my biggest supporter. It pains her to see me get hit out there. And, um, you know, she deserves what she needs from me as a husband. My kids deserve what they need from me as a dad. You know, I'm going to spend a lot of time with them and, you know, figure out in the future what's what's next. Um, was that Brady's last game? Who knows? I mean, we, we kind of hear a tone from him that we haven't heard before at the end of that, um, of that game at the post-game presser, as well as in in his uh, Monday podcast with Jim Gray. You know, you hear the tones of him saying, talking about how much it hurts his wife when he gets hit and the fact that he's a husband and he's a father and, you know, how much time that he needs to really start devoting to that. Because, you know, we've heard all through the years in terms of all these great athletes, how much it takes away uh, from them being able to be what they need to be to the other important people in their lives. Because to be great to that level, you have to devote so much to your craft, right? 
And I don't know that we've ever seen another player on the NFL front devote to their craft what Brady has devoted to his over the course of his, I think, 22 NFL seasons. So um, he's got nothing left to prove. He is the greatest quarterback ever. Anyone arguing that is just arguing for the sake of arguing and to be a contrarian. Um, so we, we just got to find out, you know, we got to be patient here. We got to wonder, you know, is, is he realizing it's time to devote more time to the family? Like I just talked about, um, is he realizing that he's finally getting tired of putting his body what he, through what he needs to put it through in order to play at this elite level? Uh, don't know. Um, definitely can't wait to see how that's going to play out. It's, I mean, when, whenever Brady steps away, it's definitely going to rock the NFL and maybe even the sports world. But at the end of the day, we also know that with the way these young quarterbacks are playing this game now, your Lamar Jacksons, your Josh Allens, your Pat Mahomes, your Justin Herberts, your Joe Burrows, um, you know, you got, a, a, and I'm sure I'm missing some guys, but you got a plethora of young quarterbacks who are ready to really do this thing. And the game is in very good hands. All right, on the Rams side, um, let's talk Sean McVay a little bit. I think he's only, in his tenure as Rams head coach, he has only lost one game when leading at halftime. That was, uh, I think it was the season-ending game against the 49ers. Um, they were up 17-0, the Niners came back and beat them. That should be a heck of a matchup next week, but um, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, maybe later in the week. But anyway, Sean McVay, the question is, how great a coach is this guy? I'm, I'm really not sure on that. Obviously, he's got tremendous offensive acumen. Um, the fact that he's a young guy helps him really relate well to his players. He seems to be very much a player's coach, very energetic. Um, schematically, he seems to have a really good grasp on his X's and O's. Uh, my question would be, as good as he seems to be, how much of that is the Rams front office's willingness to go all in to win? We hear a lot about organizations and owners being cheap, and it just looks like the Rams within the confines of the salary cap, they seem to be working with a different salary cap almost because, you know, they're bringing in guy after guy, big name players who, you know, they probably won't be able to keep them all uh, after this season. But since McVay's been there, they've really shown a willingness to go out and get the guys that they need to get to try and be successful. So uh, you, you got to wonder. Um, is Sean McVay as great as he looks, or is ha has he really been given the pieces to make it work? I think it's probably a little of both, but uh, yeah. Um, so finishing up on this one, can the Rams finally get past the 49ers? I think the Niners have beaten the Rams the last six times they played. Uh, Shanahan really seems to have uh, Sean McVay's number. I don't know that that means a whole lot going into this game. It could be you can look at it a couple of ways. You can look at it and say uh, Shanahan knows how to beat the Rams schematically. Um, or you can look at it and say, you know, those six straight losses have really put the Rams in position to make them even more angry, make them even more hungry, and have an opportunity to have success in this game and win and be the second straight team to uh, play, well, to, to host the Super Bowl in their own stadium because – uh, the Super Bowl this year is in SoFi Stadium in, in L.A. And if the Rams should get there, they'll be hosting it just like the Bucks hosted it last year. So uh, after all those years of nobody being able to play a Super Bowl at home, we may see it two years in a row. Should be interesting. All right. Bills and the Chiefs. 
I tell you, what a way to finish out an already incredible weekend of football. The NFL had to love this one. Not that they didn't love the other three games, but they had to love this one too. Um, this was, without a doubt, one of the greatest playoff games ever. And I'm, I'm a guy, it's really hard for me. I like to reserve judgment in terms of saying that modern sports are the greatest that you'll ever see. Because like I always talk about, the rules in all these uh, sports are, are made to proliferate offense and really handcuff the defense. But if you watched this game, if you love football, if you even like football, there's no way. I mean, I heard people who aren't even into football just, you know, uh, ranting and raving about this game. So it, it was, in my estimation, one of the greatest playoff games ever. And I can say to my actual memory, I've been seeing playoff football probably since about 1990 that I can really remember clearly. And I, I don't know if off the top of my head, I can remember a better one than this. Uh, maybe when Frank Reich brought, um, brought the bills back against the Houston Oilers in the playoffs. I feel like maybe that was like 93 or 94. Um, they brought him back. I think they were down like 35 to three and he brought them all the way back. That was an incredible game. But that was more like incredible for watching what the Bills were doing and watching how the Oilers were collapsing. But this game here, it, it was neither of those. It wasn't a great comeback. It wasn't one team collapsing and letting another back into the game. It was just an incredible back and forth shootout. And with that, it was one of the greatest playoff quarterback matchups we've ever seen. Josh Allen, I feel so bad for the guy. Because that's one of those games where nobody deserved to lose, but somebody had to play. Somebody had to. I'm sorry. Um, Josh Allen played absolutely lights out. Um, he showed that he's worth the big money that he got uh, this past offseason. And it wasn't obviously just this game. Uh, he went crazy over the over the last two playoff games. I think he had either eight or nine touchdown passes, no picks. I mean, he he just went nuts. And... So you have rookie uh, wide receiver Gabriel Davis from UCF. He chose a heck of a time to have the biggest game of his life, right? So in the biggest game of his life, literally the biggest game of his life, he played the biggest game of his life. Why do I say that? He had eight catches for 201 receiving yards and did something no other player. Listen to that. He did something no other player has ever done in NFL history had four receiving touchdowns in a playoff game. Nope, not Randy Moss. Nope, not Jerry Rice. Nope, not Marvin Harrison. None of these dudes. Not T.O. None of them. Gabe Davis did that. Incredible. Eight catches, 201 yards, four touchdowns. Absolutely incredible. The game went back and forth. This was one of those where the, the last team with the ball could easily have won. Um, and it went to overtime. Fairly so, right? Chiefs go right down the field. So uh, before we even get to overtime, right, um, I, I thought the game was over when Josh Allen late in the fourth quarter throws to who else? Gabe Davis, right, for what I believed was the game-winning touchdown. And then you have 13 seconds left in the game, and Pat Mahomes takes his team right down the field for a game-tying field goal to send it into overtime. Insane. Absolutely insane. Everyone's thinking 13 seconds left, there's just not enough time, right? So, so now all the Monday morning quarterbacking is happening, and you're hearing, should they have squib kicked the ball to use up some more of the time? 
But you're Buffalo. You've had the number one defense in the league all year, number one pass D, number one scoring D, number one total D, and you're thinking, okay, 13 seconds left, we can stop these guys, right? We can make one or two stops and win this game and go on to the conference championship. All right, cool. Except you couldn't. Pat Mahomes calmly takes his team right down the field. They hit the, the game-tying field goal. It goes into overtime. I'm thinking, you got to be freaking kidding me. you got to be freaking kidding me. So, in overtime, the Chiefs get the ball first. And this is one of those things where I was just saying that the team who had the ball last was probably going to win this game. At which point, you see Pat Mahomes again go right downfield. And then he hits Travis Kelsey for a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone to end what was arguably the greatest playoff game we've ever seen, and clearly the greatest playoff QB duel we've ever seen. These guys, I, I heard somebody say, and I thought it was interesting, are Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes going to be the new Tom Brady, Peyton Manning of this era? That wouldn't be a terrible thing to see, right? Wouldn't be terrible at all. Um, so this this begs the question, right? I'm, I'm, I'm watching this game and I'm thinking about it. And then after the game, I'm thinking about it. And then I'm listening to all the sports talk commentary for the next couple of days. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm wondering, I'm about to ask a question here. That's going to sound stupid, but I'm going to ask it anyway. All right, get ready. How good is Patrick Mahomes? Like for real? How good is he really? What do I mean by that? I know it sounds like a stupid question. We've seen this guy set all types of records. We've seen him be a, an MVP. We've seen him win a Super Bowl all within his uh, first three years as a starter. We've seen him and his team host the uh, AFC Championship game three years in a row, first team to do that. He's doing all this, and he's still young in the game, right? So uh, the reason I ask how good is Patrick Mahomes for real, let's look at the things that he's got to work with. He fell into the perfect situation. How do I say that? As a rookie, he got to have that year off and not get thrust immediately into the fire, right? He got to learn from a pro's pro, Alex Smith. Alex Smith, very good, you know, professional quarterback, uh, number one overall pick. Had some, some tough going early in his career, you know, number of head coaches, number of OCs, but once he got settled, pretty solid player, right? Pat Mahomes got to learn from him, okay? Next. He's got an all-time great offensive head coach in Andy Reid. He gets to learn from him and play in that system, right? Then he's got all-time great weapons around him, right? He's got Tyreek Hill, a.k.a. Cheetah, one of the fastest guys who's ever played in the league. And it looks like every time he catches the ball, he just has this way he can turn on the accelerators and just run by other really fast guys. Then... He's got one of the greatest tight end towns of all time, Travis Kelsey. So these are two elite weapons, right? Then he's got more speed around him with Mercole Hardman, who's another sub 4-3 guy. Okay. So I say all that to say he's been placed into the perfect position in the perfect system with the perfect coaching. Didn't have to be thrust right into the fire as a rookie and had the perfect opportunity to learn from a perfect professional. Wow. So it's a lot to think about, right? Okay. Now, I wonder, if you were to put other high-level quarterbacks in that system with those weapons, could they do the same or similar things? For instance, if you swap Josh um, Allen and Pat Mahomes, right? If you put Josh Allen in that system, wow. Hey, I'm pretty sure he could do very similar things, right? If you put Joe Burrow in that system, yeah, he doesn't have Pat Mahomes' arm talent, 
but he's elite throwing the ball. I'm sure he could do a lot of things. If you put Aaron Rodgers in that system, I'm sure he could do a lot of things, right? So I say that to say, and I'm sure that there's other young guys in the league who probably could fit in there as well. It, imagine Deshaun Watson in that system, right? Uh, you know, uh, legal concerns um, aside. But you, you get the point. The point is, in that system, with those weapons and that coaching, if you put other high-level, talented quarterbacks in that system, could they do the same thing? Right. There you go. I think it's a legit question. And I'm not saying that Pat Mahomes is not a special player, but situations can make all the difference. What, Bruce, are you trying to say that he's a system quarterback? No, I'm not trying to say he's a system quarterback. However, what I am saying is that systems make a legitimate difference many times with players. For instance, you look at a couple of guys. I'm going to take it back here a little bit. Trent Green, Priest Holmes. None of these guys are elite talents, right? And I'm going to use the, the, the Priest Holmes example. I've, I've talked about this before. Um, Priest Holmes spent his first, I want to say three, maybe four seasons in Baltimore, right? He wasn't a elite guy. I think he had 1,000-yard rushing season, and it was – I don't even think he got 1,100 yards. But anyway, he was solid. Then Dick Vermeil goes to Kansas City from St. Louis, right? He takes that system, the, the, the greatest show on turf system, to Kansas City with him. He implements that. He puts Priest Holmes in the Marshall Falk role, right? And Priest Holmes all of a sudden starts setting NFL records. Over the three years he played in that system – Right. Check this out. He averages 4.8 yards per carry. He had never gotten close to that in Baltimore. Right. He average he averages 1530 rushing yards a season. Right. And he averages 18.7 touchdowns a season. That's insane. That's insane. And that's just on the ground. I'm not even putting in his receiving numbers. And and I'm not saying he's as good as Marshall Falk because he wasn't. And he wouldn't tell you that. But at the end of the day, the fact is this. He got into the right system, and look how his numbers ballooned and everything just went off for him. Trent Green ends up, I think, uh, I know he made Pro Bowls. He may have made All-Pro playing in that system. So I say all that to say, it doesn't mean that a player is not special or a player is not really good. But systems can highlight what a player can do and make it a lot easier for them to do it. So it can take an, a, a, an elite player and make them all-world or all-universe, see Pat Mahomes, and it can take a, a good player or an average player and make them all all pro and pro bowl. See Priest Holmes and Trent Green. All right. Okay. So that that's pretty much a wrap. But um, yeah, I, I'm just we just got blessed with the best divisional round in playoff history. And I, I hope everyone really, you know, who watched those games had a chance to just sit back, relax. <laughs> And no, now listen to the format. You, you could do that at the end of this one. But no, I, I really hope they sat back, relaxed, and really enjoyed those games because they were all absolutely incredible. And I doubt we'll ever see a weekend of playoff football like this again. I mean, every single one was decided by a walk-off game winner of some fashion. Insane. The quarterback plays out of this world. The coaching was out of this world. It, I mean, they just gave us a real treat. Okay. So that's all I got on this this episode of Format Podcast. If you uh, if you enjoyed the show, please um, go ahead, click that subscribe button in the lower right corner of your screen. Also, click that uh, bell so you can be notified when new shows come out. Uh, if you're interested in getting the audio-only version of the podcast, you see where it's available on screen, but we're pretty much available anywhere that you want to. Go ahead and uh, subscribe to the show, audio version, 
and uh, give us that five-star rating. Helps us come up in the algorithm, all right? So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks. I'm out. Peace.